Hey, good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? It's good to see you. It's good to be back here at Herndon Middle School. So glad you made it. Hopefully none of you swung by Drainsville on your way in. Uh, and Mel, thanks for uh, sharing that story. Um, I, I, didn't, I hadn't heard that yet. And so Brian, thanks for your encouragement of Mark. I'm sure it was encouraging to him. I just love the domino effect of encouragement, right? Because you know, Brian, you do that to Mark. You encourage Mel and the people around. Mel just shared. And I'm back here praying because I usually pray for a little bit before I come out. And, you know, this morning I'm feeling a little tired. I'm, I'm feeling this was a very busy week for me. There's a lot going on. So I feel a little less prepared this morning than I usually feel. So I was feeling that. And then Mel shared that. And I'm like, no, I'm encouraged. I'm ready to roll. Um, because, man, that's just such an encouragement to my soul to see the body of Christ do that for one another. So I'm ready to go. Let's open the Word of God. Um, if you have a Bible, open it to Exodus chapter 20. And I really do want you to open it there um, because we're going to be bouncing around to a bunch of different verses here in Exodus 20. So it would be really helpful if you had it. Uh, we'll try to follow along on the screen, uh, bouncing around to the text, but it'd just be easier for you if, you if you just had a Bible there. You can open up your phone app or whatever you want to do. That's fine. And read along with me as we're in Exodus chapter 20. Um, have you ever identified something in your life where you knew this was something that was not good for you? You knew that I probably need to change. I probably need to work on this or address this in my life. You agree with that. But at the same time, you know pretty clearly, but I'm not going to. Right? You get what I'm saying? Like, so, a good example. I was just trying to think of one for me um, is my relationship with coffee. So, I've, I've, I've been heavily addicted to coffee for 20 years, um, like I know many of you are too. I know I'm not alone in the room. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really into fitness as well. And so I know for a fact, like I just know that if I were to get off of caffeine, right, I, I know that, that I would have more energy. I know I would feel better. I know I would sleep better. I know there would be less inflammation in my body. Like I know all of those things. But I'm not going to quit coffee. Like, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I love it. I do it every morning and every afternoon. I should probably at least cut the afternoons out. Definitely would sleep better on that. But that's something in my life, a silly example, but it is an example of something that I have knowledge of something that I know that if I were to cut this out, things would get better. But again, just being straight with you, zero plans to change that habit in my life. But take that, right, and maybe apply it to other things going on in your life that, that maybe are a little bit more impactful to you and your joy. So I was, I was thinking about that for myself this week, and I was thinking about a relationship that I have with someone. I'm going to talk vaguely about it. They're not a part of the church. They don't live around here, so don't try to guess. But a relationship that I have with someone, and they've, they've, they've been really hurtful to me. And so there's all this stuff going on inside of me, and I'm like, man, I, I feel hurt. I feel frustrated, and yet I should probably deal with that, right? Like, like I should probably 
do the work inside of me to figure out what's going on. Why do I feel hurt? What does it look, what does reconciliation look like? What does it look like to pursue that person? That would be good. That, that, that would be for my joy, right? Because this has been a hard situation. So all that to say is this, but at the same time, I was thinking, Alan, do you really plan on doing that? Like, you agree it would be good, but there's also a part of me that's like the amount of interior work that would be required on my behalf to begin to take those steps forward. I, I don't know if I'm willing to commit to doing something like that, even though I know it would be good, good for me, good for them. It would be for our joy, right? You get what I'm saying here? How easy is it for us to live lives where everything on the outside looks great? Everything on the outside looks like we are living a good, joyful life. But there's all kinds of stuff going on inside of us that God wants us to press into. God wants us to trust him with. God wants us to follow Jesus in the midst of it. And yet... We're not willing to take those steps because that would require a whole lot of interior work. I know it would be for my joy, but at the same time, I don't know if I'm willing to take those steps forward. How easy is it to build a faith, to practice a faith in Christ that on the outside looks good, on the outside looks faithful, but at the same time, inside, there are things that we're, willing not, we're not willing to follow Jesus in. These are some of the questions that I want to talk about today. This is our last sermon in our series that we've been in Exodus chapter 20 on the Ten Commandments. We've been preaching through the Ten Commandments all summer, and today we will do the Tenth Commandment. But one of the things that I've been relentless about in preaching through the Ten Commandments is this idea, it's why we titled the series the way we did, that all of God's commands are for your joy. They are for your good, that God gave us these commands because he wants you to live a joyful, restful, peaceful life in Christ. But one of the things we've been learning as we've been going through these Ten Commandments is this reality that God's not just interested in us following these commands on the exterior, but God is actually even more interested and what it looks like to follow these commands on the interior, in the, in the inner self, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our motivations, in our fears and dreams, in all of these things. He wants us to follow him there because he knows that it's from the heart that our exterior will begin to, to follow. And so we've been going through all of these Ten Commandments, and we've been asking the question, what does it not just look like to follow this on the outside, but what does it look like to follow it on the inside? And God's interested in what's going on on the inside of you because God's interested in your joy. This thing that I've, I've been trying to remind us of 
every single week. And I'm going to be more repetitive today because we have to get this. We have to understand that the reason why God gave us these commands, it's not because these are the commands we must follow for God then to love us, save us, and bring us into his family. No, these are the commands that we've been called to follow because God loves us and he's after our joy. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. If you go to the second verse, this is before God gives any commands. What does he say? He says, I am Yahweh, God, your God, the Lord, your God, who rescued you out of your slavery to Egypt. Right? So in Exodus 20, I know I've already said it, but again, we've got to get it. In Exodus 20, God just rescued his people from their slavery to Egypt. And he says, I want you to be my people. And so I'm going to take you out of your slavery. I'm going to take you to the promised land. You're going to have this amazing land. You're going to live there. You're going to thrive. On their way to the promised land, they stop at Mount Sinai, and God gives them this, the Ten Commandments. And he goes, listen, I've already rescued you. Like, we're already on the way to the promised land. So here is how I want you to live. Right Here is how you are going to experience joy in the promised land, is through following these commands. That's the purpose of the commands. God doesn't give us the commands to give us the stipulations so that he will love us. No, God loves us, and he gives us the commands so that we will follow him and experience joy in this life. The order is really important. Right, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like saying, let's say you were in prison and I had the authority to pardon your charges, pardon you, and get you out. And I come and I get you out of prison. You're free. You're out. The pardon's been done. Like, there's no charges anymore against you. And I said, great, you're out. Listen, I want to encourage you to live in this way now. Because if you live in this way, you're going to thrive If you live in this way, you're going to experience joy. You're going to be living in in the way that God's created you to live. And you go, great. And then you started to try and follow all of those things, not because you trusted what I said, but because you were afraid that if you didn't follow all those things, I wouldn't get you out of prison. That makes no sense. You're already out of prison. So Christian, this morning, one of the things you need to realize as we dig one more time into the Ten Commandments is you're already out. God's already forgiven you of your sin if you have trusted in Christ. God has already washed you clean. These are not stipulations for God to do what he has already done for you. These are God's instructions to you to live a life of joy as you follow him. And so this morning we're going to be in the 10th commandment, the final one. And what I want to do, actually, is I want to use this 10th commandment really as a way to recap all 10 of the commandments. So we'll dig into the 10th one that's going to be in verse 17. But I really want to go back through all the 10 commandments together as we close out this series. And I want to recap the 10 commandments by looking at what is the kind of interior work that God is calling us to do as followers of Jesus because he's after our joy. Again, what does it look like to follow these things on the inside, not just on the outside? 
But first, let's look at the 10th commandment. So if you go to your Bible, Exodus 20, verse 17, we get the 10th and final commandment. It says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not covet. This word covet here in Hebrew literally means desire. You shouldn't desire these things. But this word is mostly used in the context of kind of an idolatrous desire, right? It's this kind of desire where what's going on inside of you is if I can't have that, then I can't have joy, right? That, that's it. So it's not just a simple desire like, oh, that'd be cool, right? It's not that. It's a kind of desire that what's going on inside of you is if I can't have that, then I can't have joy. See, when we have a covetous heart, okay, which we all struggle with in many different ways, what's going on is we think, as we look at the world around us, as we look at other people live their lives, as we look at the things that other people have, we kind of inhabit this belief that joy is elusive only to me. Everybody else seems to have what they need. Everybody else seems to have the things that would bring them joy. Everything, everyone else seems to have the things that I want. And it's me. That the problem is me. I, for somehow, I got the raw end of the deal. And somehow, I took the short end of the stick, right? Joy is elusive to me, but look at all these people around me, and they have it, and I don't, right? That's the idea of coveting the people around us. You know, the reason why God gave us these Ten Commandments, and I know I've been saying over and over, it's for our joy, but it's also, it's, it's to protect you from this belief that I've gotten the raw end of the deal. It's to protect you from this belief that joy is elusive to me. And what God is saying is, no, no, no. Joy is available to you because joy doesn't come through the things of the world. Joy comes through following me. Joy comes through following my word. Joy comes through being my child and resting in my grace and resting in my provision. That's where joy comes from. It doesn't come from the things of the world. And so God gave us these commands to protect us from this belief that everybody else has it, but I don't the reason he gave us the Ten Commandments. And so here, here's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to recap the Ten Commandments together. And I want to do that through asking three questions that are going to lead us to some interior examination. All right, three questions using the commands. So we're going to read through all of them again. Three questions that are going to lead us to some interior examination that are going to help us to ask the question, where am I looking for joy? And am I looking in the places that God has commanded me to? Now, let me give you a warning before we go that as we ask these questions, I think that what might pop up in us as we dig into these three areas is kind of the same attitude that I have towards quitting coffee, Man, I know that would be good for me to address that, 
I know it would be good for me to take that seriously, but I don't think I'm going to. Or the same attitude that I had towards that person that I mentioned earlier. Man, I know that would be good and honoring to God, but that's going to require a lot of hard, difficult work for me to, do, to dig into that. So, great sermon, but let's go to brunch, right? So I want, you to warn, I want to warn you from these kind of going in one year and out the other. It's not a question if we struggle with these things. It's a question of how we do and to what extent. But these three questions coming from the commandments, I do think, uh, provide us a pathway to life and joy. Question number one. All right, so get your Bible ready for Exodus 20. We're going to read some of the commands together. All right, question number one that I want us to ask, it's going to lead to some interior examination, is this. Would I rather have the world? Would I rather have the world? I, I took this from the first and tenth commandment. So the first commandment, that comes in uh, verse, uh, let's see, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. And then we've already read the tenth commandment in verse 17, that you shall not covet. And the question is, would I rather have the world? Would I rather give of myself and all the things that I have and all the energy that I have and all the passion that I have, would I rather give that over so that I can have the things of the world or would I rather give that over so I can experience God, so I can have God? What would I rather do? Which one? Because I really do believe that this question is real, what we're really asking is which one do I believe will provide me joy? Which one do I believe would provide me peace? Do I think accumulating the things of the world, looking to what my neighbors have and working hard to get it, looking to what other people have and saying, yes, if I can get that, then I'll have joy. Do I believe that's the pathway to joy or do I believe it is following what God has called me to in resting in his grace and resting in his love. Which one do I believe is the pathway to joy? And so if we really want to do the interior work when it comes to this question, there's an exercise that we can do. And again, this is one of those exercises that I think we go, hmm, I don't know if I want to do that exercise. But here's the thing. Let's just do an audit. Do a quick audit of all of your time. Where do you spend your time? Do a quick audit of all of the places that you spend your money. Where are you investing your resources? Do a quick audit of all the things that get you excited and pumped up about things that are happening in your life. Get a journal and write these things down and then look at it and go, based off what I have written down, and if someone were to look at this and ask the question, where does this person believe joy is found? what would be their answer, right? Like if you want the exercise to be even better, do this with other people, right? Sit down with a trusted friend, someone in your community group, do the audit together, write these things down and then have a trusted friend look at that and say, brother, sister, help me out. As you look at this, where do I, by my actions, not just by my words, but by my actions, where do I believe true joy is found? Would I rather have the world 
Would I rather have the things that God is calling me to? See, what this is going to do, it's going to help us see the things in our life that we have replaced God with, and it's going to help us to see the things in our life that we do covet. You know, would I rather have financial freedom? And man, that's it. Would I rather have a spouse or kids or success in my career or, or whatever it is, all of these good things to desire and want, but have they risen up to the level of, I believe that those things are the pathway to joy and nothing else. And so when we think about doing an exercise like this, right, it can be really easy to go, man, I know that if I sat down and wrote that stuff down, that would be a good exercise for me to do, but I'm just not sure if I want to take that step. I'm just not sure if I'm ready to engage in the kind of interior work that that is going to engage me in if I do that. It's interesting in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, right? He is this, you know, most writers think Solomon wrote this and he's this, um, you know, he, Solomon experienced all kinds of, of wealth and leadership and success and he experienced everything this world could offer you, and he writes about it in Ecclesiastes. He experienced wealth beyond what you could imagine. He experienced possessions, relationships. He experienced leadership. He experienced people lauding him. He experienced being an influencer of people. Everything our hearts would desire in this world, he's experienced. And at the very end of Ecclesiastes, the very last few verses, what he sums it all up to is he says this, listen, I've seen it and done it and experienced all of it. And here's the last thing I have to say. This is the only thing that will be for your joy, he says. To sum it all up, at the end of the day, do this. Follow God's commands and fear him. That is the pathway to joy. That's what Solomon tells us. We can have goals in life. We can have things that we're pursuing. But if they become our God, if they become the thing that we're convinced will give us joy, then it will rob us of our joy. And God is after your joy by giving you these commands to say, hey, make sure you don't have any other God but me. And check your heart when you're looking to your neighbors and you're looking at other people and you begin to desire things in such a way where you believe that you won't be able to experience what I, as God, am offering you unless you have those things. God's giving you those commands because he's warning you those will rob you of joy. They won't give them to you. So the question we need to ask, would I rather have the world? I encourage you to get with someone that you trust and ask those questions. Seriously, do the interior work because it will lead to our joy. Second question is this. Do I think I would make a better God? That's one of those questions. None of us is going to go, yep, I do. None of us is going to say that out loud. But again, we're doing some interior work here. Do I think I would make a better God? So Exodus chapter 20, I see commands two. Three, four, and five here. Two, three, four, and five. So, commandment number two in verse four says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, all right, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous 
God, right? So the second commandment, we only talked about it. What did we talk about? The reality that we will have a temptation not to look to who God is according to his word and submit to that, but to carve out for ourselves an image of God that we want him to be, to make our own God and to carve it out in our own image, right? The third command, let's go to verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What did we talk about when we preached on this one? We said the temptation that we often feel is that we want to attach God's name to things that God wouldn't attach his name to, that we want to use God for our own purposes, Go to the fourth command in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God has called us to rest. He's the only one who doesn't need rest. He's called us to trust in him for our provision and to stop working so that we can worship him. And then go to commandment number 5, which we find all the way down in verse 12. Honor your father and mother. And when we talked about this, we said that God has created us to live in certain authority structures and that whenever we're given authority over people, that's a delegated authority from God, that we exercise authority on behalf of God. And so I'm summing all of these commands up to this one question, do I think I would make a better God? Could I fashion for myself a God better than him, better than him? Do I want to attach God to things that he wouldn't attach his name to? Do I want to reject God's call to rest and just uh, believe only in myself and see myself as self-sufficient? Do I submit to the kinds of authority that God puts me in? And do I submit to his authority? Do I think I would make a better God? You know, the most offensive thing about Christianity today about the faith that we practice today in the world is the reality that we believe that morality and beauty and what is good and what is right doesn't originate in us. It is dictated to us. That's the most offensive thing about Christianity today. We believe that there is a God who has said to us, this is what's good, this is what's right, this is what's beautiful, and that we receive that and submit to it. We don't challenge it from within. We don't create it within. All right, We live in a culture that wants to say, no, you have the authority and the ability to create your own morality and goodness and beauty and all of those things. But our faith says, no, we receive that from God. It's the number one thing that our culture does not like about our faith. But if you go to Genesis chapter 3, one of the things that we see, what was this original sin? with Adam and Eve. They wanted equality with God. They saw equality with God as something to be grasped. They did not want to live underneath God in his care, in his word. They thought they would make a better God for themselves. But God is telling us in these commands that our joy is found in submitting to God and who he is and what his word says about him, trusting in God that he will provide for us and that he knows what is good for us. This is exactly why at Grace Hill Church, we are committed to the scriptures, no matter what, no matter what the culture says about it, that we believe that the scriptures are timeless. We believe that they transcend culture and we believe that they give us everything we need to follow Jesus and to know what is true and right and beautiful and good. We are committed to the scriptures. 
no matter what. We're committed to the word against fundamentalism, which seeks to add to God's word, and we're committed to the word against liberalism, which seeks to take away from God's word, right? We're committed to the word because this is an act of submission. It's an act of saying, God, you're better at being God than we're better than we are at being God. But when we think about us individually, the interior work that we need to do is this. Do I really submit to God and what he says is good and right? Am I willing to do that? Even when it pushes against places that are hard for me, even when it pushes against places that I struggle to understand why it's good. God welcomes the questions. God welcomes the wrestling. But the question is, do we have a heart and posture of submission to God? Are we willing to submit to what God's word says when it comes to things like our money or our relationships or what God says about marriage or what God says about caring for the marginalized or what God says about being a church body together? Are these things that we're willing to come underneath the scripture and say, even though some of these things push against me, have a posture of submission because I believe all the way down to my bones that all of his commands to me are for my joy. Submission is a hard word for us. It's a hard word for me. I don't like submission. But if I know that God is after my joy, then I know that is a safe place to submit And that is a safe place to come underneath. And that is a place of rest. And so here's an exercise that you could do, doing this interior work. You could ask the question, and actually I encourage you to ask this to someone you know well. Uh, Ask this to a friend, community group member, someone here at the church, family member. Ask this to your spouse. Um, You'll get a good answer uh, from your spouse, probably an honest one on this one. Here's a question you could ask Go to that person and ask, hey, am I teachable? Am I approachable? Am I challengeable? Like if you were to come to me with some sort of correction, or if you were to come to me with an admonishment or anything like that, am I someone that's easy to do that with? Am I curious? Do I ask questions? Do I respect you when you bring that? Like, am I these ways? And the reason why I think this is a good exercise for us is because I believe that if we don't allow anyone, as far as other people, challenge us, admonish us, correct us, if we don't allow uh, these things to be dictated to us outside of us when it comes to other people, then it's probably not true of God and his word. We're probably not open when we have God's word to the kind of things that God wants to say to us and the ways that he wants to push against us and lead us and guide us because he's God and we're not. I think it would show us their answers, the level to which I'm willing to allow anyone outside of me, especially God himself, to dictate what is good and right and beautiful to me. It's for your joy that we are called and we are given these commands to let God be God and let us be human and be let us be his creation that rests under his leadership and his authority and his word. So the question is, do I think I would be a better God or do I submit to God as God? Last question, maybe the most difficult. 
I'm going to take this from command six, seven, eight, and nine. Do I expect to be served? Do I expect to be served? Again, no one's going to say out loud, yep, I expect people to serve me, right? No one's going to say that out loud. But if we do the interior work that these commands lead us to do, I think we might come up with a different answer, all right? So real quick, look at the 6, 7, 8, and 9. So if we go at verse 13, you shall not murder. Remember when we talked about this one, we talked about what do we do when we're offended and angry and hurt at other people? What are the actions that we should take? Because most of the time when we're angry or hurt or offended at others, it's because we had an expectation that they would do something that they failed at doing. So the question is, do I expect to be served? And is that producing anger within me? Verse 14. All right, this is number seven. You shall not commit adultery. We talked about covenants and our commitments to people. Right? And most of the time when we want to walk away from our commitments to people is because we've been disappointed and expectation wasn't met. And so the question is, do I expect to be served? And now I'm going to walk away from this covenant because I'm not. Verse 15, this is commandment number eight. You shall not steal. We talked about the reality that God calls us to be people that don't take for ourselves, but we actually make money to give and be generous to others. And so what is our attitude when it comes to our money? Do we see it as something that serves us, or do we see it as a tool to serve others? And then finally, commandment number nine, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What do we do when someone has frustrated or disappointed us? How do we talk about them to other people? Do we talk about them to other people in a way that serves us, or we do it in a way that is honest? and glorifying to the Lord and honoring to the other person. Really, I'm distilling all these four commands down to the simple question, do I expect to be served? So here's an exercise to help us with this. Think of a recent time that you were frustrated with someone or disappointed in someone, all right? And you just felt those feelings. And then I just want you to Think about the situation, what happened, why do you feel what you feel? Ask this question, in that scenario, do I expect to be served? And the reason why I'm frustrated and disappointed is because I wasn't. I expected that person to do something for me and they did not come through. So I'm frustrated or in that situation, am I putting myself into this place of being a servant? Romans 13.9 tells us that all four of these commands we just went through, the way that we follow them is through loving our neighbor as ourself. It is through love that we follow these commands. It's through putting ourselves forward as servants, giving of ourselves for others, instead of expecting to be served. And so the question, when you think about this exercise, any, if, you know, if you think about a scenario where you're frustrated at someone is, what does it look like to flip this scenario and ask, what does it look like to be a servant in this scenario? So take the example I gave in the beginning. Someone that I, I just feel in my spirit I need to, I've needed to for a while pursue reconciliation with. But I don't want to take those steps because I, I feel like I've been legitimately sinned against. So I don't want to sweep that under the rug. I, 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 when I'm kind of evaluating what's going on inside of me, I, I don't think that I was desiring to be served in this situation. But right now, 
I am expecting them to be first to come and pursue me and to step towards reconciliation. I am expecting to be served in that way. And I'm not willing, at least not yet, God's working on me to be the first one to go and say, I'm going to serve and take that step towards reconciliation to you. I think oftentimes in these scenarios, we need to ask the question, do I just want to be served? Do I expect to be served? Do I expect other people to move first towards me, to do the things that I expect them to do? But Because in, inside of me, I have all these expectations, but I'm not willing to do the interior work to explore those, to ask questions about them, and ask, how is that impacting my behavior towards them? And when we think about Jesus, this is exactly what he did for us. We sinned against Jesus first. We rejected him first. And yet he stepped out of heaven towards us first. He came towards us. The Bible tells us that Jesus stepped out of heaven and came here not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And all of the things that we've talked about this morning, all of these questions, what we find is that Jesus is our true example in all three. Like, so if you have your Bible, go to Philippians chapter two. I just wanna read a couple of verses in uh, uh, verses one to 11, actually, in Philippians chapter two. And I want you to see how Jesus becomes our example, that our joy is not found in the things of this world. Our joy is not found in being equal with God or being able to change who God is or, or decide for ourselves what is good and right. And our joy is not found in being served by other people and everyone fulfilling my expectations on them. But our joy is found in the exact opposite, Our joy is found in God himself. Our joy is found in resting under his leadership. Our joy is found in being a servant to those around us on his behalf. Go to Philippians 2 and look at what Paul says to the church in Philippi. He says in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So Paul's saying, if you want to know what joy is like in following Jesus, here it is. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What you're going to see in Philippians 2 is our three questions in reverse order. And what the first thing Paul says is, you want to know what joy in Christ looks like. It's have the same mind of Christ who he himself stepped out of heaven, not to be served, but to serve. He looked to the interest of others. He saw others as more significant than himself. He wasn't seeking to be served. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was God, is God. 
And yet, even he himself was willing to be obedient, to humble himself, and to give his life as a ransom for us. Even though he was equal with God, it's not something that he thought he needed to grasp for. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't come looking for the things of the world, but he came and he stepped into our world to give himself so that we could have God. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul is saying this, have this mind, the same mind of Christ, who came as a servant in obedience to God, so that you and I could go and find our joy in God and in the Father alone. Jesus is our example. And this is why every single sermon during our Ten Commandments series, we've invited you to the communion table right here. It's because we just wanted to be so clear every single week that your joy is found at this table. We wanted to be clear every week that the ability and the power to follow God's commands is actually found at this table. We wanted it to be really, really clear that the reason why God gives you these commands is found at this table. Because this table represents Christ stepping out of heaven and rescuing us and setting us free for a life of joy. It represents Christ paying for our sins, getting us out of prison, and saying, here's now the life that I want you to live where you will thrive under my Father's leadership. So when we think about the gospel and we think about what the communion table represents, here's what we think about. We think about the reality that Christ has set us free from looking to the things of the world and believing that's where joy is found. No, this table tells us the exact opposite. It's not found there. You will be nothing but disappointment there. It's found in Christ himself. When you think about the gospel and what the communion table represents, we, we realize that our joy is found not in having an authority of my own, not in being my own God, not being able to make my own decisions and decide what is good, but in resting under the good leadership of God our Father and trusting him with what he has to say knowing he's after our joy and what the gospel sets us free to do and what this communion table represents is that there's a world out there of people who are enslaved to this idea that somewhere out there in this world I will find my joy and they're not going to find it and we find out that in the same way that Christ stepped out of heaven to be a servant for us he's now calling us to go out as a servant to others and to point people to where their true joy would be found. To give of our lives as a living sacrifice so that other people may taste and see that the Lord is good in what they truly long for. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to invite you to the table and I want you to drink deeply of God's love for you. 
And I want you to drink deeply of the reality that he's after your joy. And I want this to become every bit of motivation for you to do the kind of work that we talked about this morning. To ask these hard interior questions. To get with other people in the church and do this work together. Not to earn God's love, but no, to encourage each other towards a more joyful life in Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read two verses out of Hebrews chapter 12 real quick for us. And after these two verses, I just want to invite you to come to the table. I want you to come straight on up. Come out of your seat. Get the bread. Get the juice. Be reminded of God's love for you. And then let us close our time out in worship. The writer of Hebrews encourages us with this in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's do this interior work, all right? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You're invited to come forward to the table.